our next episode on the Quorum Podcast, a podcast of the Center for Ancient Christian Studies. So in this brief conversation, Coleman Ford and myself, Sean Wilhite, sit down with professor and research fellow for the Center, Dr. Megan DeVore of Colorado Christian University. We had a brief moment to hear from her about her love of tea, as well as her research interests in early Christianity. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, hey, we're in uh, Chicago for the 2018 annual meeting of the North American Patristic Society. Uh, it's a bustling time here, a lot of people around. We have some uh, foreign visitors from Italy who are uh, congregating around, and so it's a fun, exciting time. Side by side, rubbing shoulders with patristic scholars. Uh, what a dream. So, uh, we're also excited just to hang out with uh, Megan DeVore, uh, who is a, a fellow for the Center for Ancient Christian Studies. And so, just excited to get to know you, Megan, and hoping that uh, our listeners would uh, just get to see who you are as a person and as a scholar. Uh, but what I would love to do is just kind of kick off with some questions that would really help us know who you are as a person. Uh, and I think. Uh, the first question that will help us understand who you are the most is uh, tea or coffee? Absolutely tea, hands down. <laughs> yeah. I lived in England. I'm addicted. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we, we can talk about addictions later, yeah. uh, but uh, when you say tea, uh, fill that out for us. What what kind of tea? I mean, tea is tea, but what do you what do you drink? Tea is not tea. Oh, tea. <laughs> it has to be English breakfast, and I admit I pay to import oh, from great. England, especially oh. a good, robust Yorkshire. Oh, wow, and that's very specific. It has to be pretty white, okay. so a good amount of milk. Okay, okay, so is there a place, so you import it, um, but is there a place that you can say, go here, and you will get somewhat of the kind of flavor and experience uh, here in the States. Well, there is a tea shop called Agia Sophia in Colorado Springs that is run by Orthodox monks. Wow. And they have a most delicious vanilla English breakfast tea. And I don't Mm. know if it's the ambiance of bearded man who looks like Athanasius handing it to you, but there is something (laughs) magical that takes place there. Highly recommend it. Yeah, I mean, just even thinking about what that looks like mentally, I just want to go. Yeah. I don't even, I mean, like, I'm not the biggest tea fan, but I just want to be surrounded by bearded Orthodox men. I don't know what that is. Denver's a good place. <laughs> uh, okay, so we've established tea, English breakfast, imported from Yorkshire, is that what you said? If or just, I can. If you can, all right, if, if the bank account allows. Yeah. Uh, so that's great. And so thinking about that, uh, you spent some time in, in England. Um, did you or did you not pick up on rugby, or not rugby, I'm sorry, cricket, or football in the European football sense? In I, any of those? I do still slip up and call it football once in a while okay. and confuse my friends, but yeah. I didn't really get into it. I had a friend who did rowing, oh, so that yeah. was fun to watch. Okay, but, yeah. um, Running in clubs in England is also a really big thing, oh, okay. and so I had fun doing that when yeah. I was there. Okay, okay, so you didn't get the cricket bug that... I mean, no pun intended, but okay. <laughs> that was good. That was yeah, I just thought that. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll copyright yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, my supervisor, uh, who spent some time in England and uh, considers himself an Anglophile, um, is like bananas about cricket. Like, whenever you bring up soccer, football, he's like, no, that's not a real mm. sport. Cricket is a sport. And I'm like, 
I don't see how I watch it and I don't know what that's about, but mm. people apparently are crazy about it. What they say is, I'm over the moon. <laughs> I'm over the moon. <laughs> wow, okay. Well, uh, okay, so uh, a couple more questions. Love to just kind of uh, understand your heart as a person. Um, this is a very important question to know a person. Mountains or beach? I live in Colorado, I have to say mountains. Okay. I've only seen a beach maybe half a dozen oh, times. Wow. So I, it may be limited by experience. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. I, think, I think that's the right answer. I'm a mountain yeah. man myself. Yeah. So, yeah, Colorado, yeah. And so, thinking about that, where in Colorado would you recommend like a mountain person would go? I mean, like the whole state, I get it, but. I really like portions of the Colorado Trail. It's mm. gorgeous, especially in the fall. You yeah. get all the aspens changing. It's like you're walking on gold coins. It's yeah. absolutely stunning. Okay. Wow. Okay. So that's... Wow. Well, uh, I'm ready to buy a ticket and go. Yeah, that sounds right. great. That's yeah. Right. Especially living in Texas where there is not any mountains. Yeah. And we call hills mountains because that's the closest we have. So, uh, well, one last question and then turn it over to Sean. Uh, you know, in this day and age, uh, you know, media saturation, I mean, we've got tons of social media, I mean, TV, all this sort of stuff. I mean, like, there's so many options for media consumption in our culture today. Uh, so I think with that in mind, a very important question that we need to just be aware of for each other is, when you sit down to watch Netflix, what are you binging? the attention span for TV. I am wow. I'm awful and I don't say that is like this yeah. elitist. I just have never had the attention span for it. Wow. You are motivated. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. Okay. I just deleted my account. As yeah, I, I just that. got convicted. <laughs> yeah. uh, no more Netflix. That's right. Yeah. Has that always been the case or just life kind of oh. compounded and yeah. never really I think part of it was life. Yeah. It's really hard to hold my interest. Yeah. So I just, okay. Wow. Why? Yeah. So there's some really fun. I'll do some documentaries now and then, which just sounds so boring. Um, <laughs> but there's some really fun <laughs> ones like The Rape of Europa, no. um, that's kind of the background for Monuments Men, and mm. it really explores the art in Europe. Oh. Um, I just I have a hard time finding something that grabs me. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, again, I'm convicted. I'd. Yeah, the hours I've wasted. I know. <laughs> I tried. My closest try was probably Arrested Development. Okay. And, and that was... That was Bravo. Close. Yeah, Bravo. Yeah. yeah. Bravo. Good try there. Yeah, I won't tell you what number I am on rewatching Arrested <laughs> Development. <laughs> Arrested Development got me through seminary. I'm just yeah, going to go ahead yeah, and say yeah. that. Pretty so. <laughs> uh, Yeah, I think we've made a huge mistake here. Uh, yeah, well, great, uh, Megan. This is this is fabulous. Just hearing more about you. Uh, let's turn maybe the academic corner. Just kind of hearing what you're working on. Uh, uh, just through conversation, talking about classics, early Christianity. Kind of what was your story to get into this field? And then we'd love to just kind of talk about dissertation work after that. I had a really awesome undergraduate professor who was doing his PhD in classics at the time. He was just adjuncting, and he really took me under his wing and did some independent studies on Roman religion, and I was hooked, especially as we got into some of the Bacchanalian conspiracies and then leading into early Christianity. 
And so it seemed like a logical path from ancient history into early Christianity. And I was pretty sure I wanted to study the context of the Roman Empire, kind of the why and what and how and if of persecution. And that's why I ended up going into C. Boulder for classics. And mm. from there got hooked to a Latin course with Andy Kane on hagiography. Mm. Um, got hooked on even later stuff all the way through some of his brilliant work with Jerome, and that was really fun. I've been in it ever since. Oh wow! So that, that's great. So, an adjunct professor walks you through Roman or uh, Roman history, then moving on into Latin Latin literature after that. Wow, that's that's fabulous. Uh, so, Perpetua, where did where did kind of Perpetua come in with your dissertation work, and maybe kind of guide us through what it is that you wrote on, how you kind of circled around that topic, and walk us through that whole writing process. The thing that hooked me on this account was actually reading it in that master's hagiography class. As we went through that account, my professor mentioned offhandedly, well, of course, we know it's Montanist, and anything concerning heresy always piques my interest. And so I started to investigate just kind of on and off a little bit more about that, ended up doing my master's thesis on Montanism in general and how we can qualify it and how maybe we shouldn't. Um, qualify it and that was really fun and that's what led me to look into um, Wales for the PhD um, since Christine Trevitt was still there and some of her work on Montanism was really fascinating and so it's really the heresiology that continues to nag at me um, and that's one of the reasons I love teaching historical theology is heresiology matters orthodoxy matters the creeds matter um, looking at this beautiful organic orthodoxy that sprouts up from the church and that has to be elucidated more and more clearly over the centuries is something I find fascinating and beautiful and is really self-informative too. Oh yeah. How, uh, how do you walk your students through that? So kind of just alluded to the classroom. What What is it that you, that you kind of take them through and especially in classes like historical theology. Uh, we start with some of the earliest texts that we can get a hold of. Um, the Didache, the Epistle to Dignitas, which is one of my favorites. Um, and the Epistle to Clement. Um, and then you walk through Shepherd of Hermas. I, and you, gosh, one of the most striking lines in that work is, I remembered the glory of God and I took hope. So as we go through these texts, they're not merely ancient texts, but they're a text that is really running through our DNA even now, and I think it's a big angle that I take with it, is this is our orthodoxy, this is our heritage. This enriches who we are and informs who we are, and our aim is never to recreate the past, um, but to really receive the past, and then look at how it can reform the present. That's really fun, and that's something that I guess I never answered the question about Perpetua. No, it's uh, fine. Yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah. Something that I think I'm really, I can't put this account down because it's something that's been received for so long in the church. And the nagging question I have is not only how has it been received, um, both in, say, the arts, um, in Augustine's sermons on Perpetua, um, but how has it all, how was it received at the time? Um, especially with its really unique trivocal nature, what is the primary narrator doing with this text? What is he revealing about 
Christianity in Carthage at the time. And I think it's something far more dynamic than we give it credit for being. We just think, well, everything is, of course, just like Tertullian. And maybe he wrote the thing anyway. The more that I look at it, the more I find there's something really dynamic and fascinating with Christianity at the dawn of the third century. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask, because you mentioned Augustine, so I have to chime in here. Uh, and his sermons are perpetua, and, and I can't remember the sermon number, but I, I can vividly remember him talking about it, and him inviting his congregation in a kind of an imaginative sort of way to enter into the kind of the martyrs uh, arena, and, and and kind of it's just this beautiful image. I'm, the exact wording is escaping me right now, but uh, yeah, so he's inviting his congregation to relive that experience you and the congregation uh, witnessing these things. Um, so that leads me to ask, how would you, uh, as, a, as a teacher, undergrad students, how have you included students and kind of helped them to see the tradition? You talk about orthodoxy, you talk about these things that are being passed down, maybe imaginatively or creatively. How, how have you helped them kind of enter into that and, and to own it and to take it for themselves. Any thoughts on that? Has, has that played out for you? Oh my gosh, that's really fun. I can think of that manifesting in various ways in my different courses, whether it's a church history survey that will look a little different, um, where they have to take a biography of a person that they had never heard of before this class. So unfortunately it can't be the great like Augustine, um, but it can be someone like maybe Argula von Grombich or Katarina Zell or... Um, maybe even if they haven't heard of Chrysostom, they turn a biography into a kind of spiritual application paper. So a bit of a devotional, if you will, but written more for uh, maybe undergrads or those who have had some Christian education. So that's a fun way. I think my favorite way, though, is probably in the historical theology class, we have two synods. And that gives them more authority than they ought to have. I get that. Oh, not bishops here. Um, but um, after we do the council, gosh, the first four ecumenical councils, um, they gather into groups and are given a week to think about how they would articulate a creed for today. Wow. And it makes, I mean, have them look at the faith statements that's on their church websites. I have them look at the NAE statement of faith. And, I, and we have been exploring for over two and a half months by that point, the various creeds of the church, the synods, the councils. And it's really neat to see them take ownership of wrestling through the meaning of just a word. I think they start to understand what Basil struggled with. These tiny uh, pronouns and nouns and uh, Greek letters. Right. So it's neat to see them own it. And as they construct creeds, Again, it's not giving them the authority that they can write their own creed, um, but it's to help them struggle with identifying with the difficulty of elucidating truth about God in human language. He gives us language with which to speak about Him, but language, as Nissa reminds us, has its limits. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's rich. Yeah, that's rich. well, yeah, I just, even as you mentioned Basil, like, whole arguments hinging on a preposition. preposition. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Like, that was the atmosphere of theological debate at that point, and it's not unimportant. Yeah. Like, even thinking today that people think there's hair-splitting things that are going on in the church and theological discussion. Yeah. Like, yes, I get it. Sometimes there are, 
but hmm. but in a lot of times, I mean, small words, small ideas, things matter. And yes. uh, I think as you are looking back at, tr- at the tradition, that's a, that's a helpful takeaway, is to say truth matters, and even in the minute details of expressing that truth, even if someone can say, well, you know, it's, it's fine, it's clear enough, or whatever, but no, 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 uh, let's handle truth rightly, right? Let's, um, let's receive that which has been passed down, and I think of what Paul even says to Timothy, this kind of ministry of sound words, right? Like, you've heard the sound words that I've uh, taught to you, and I've always thought, like, sound words, what is that? And I think a lot of times uh, that is just an idea or a kind of a disposition of, think- of thinking, like, speaking rightly about the faith and who Jesus is is a, a very important thing. So, yeah, Basil's a huge, huge testimony to that. So that's great. Oh, good. And it's part yeah. of handing down the faith. Mm-hmm. And I think they start to realize that words about God don't just matter in our discourse and in our intellectual exercises, but it matters in our prayer. And so at the end of the day, I think they really do see that connection between, what is it, like, lex orandi, lex credendi, this long prayer, long prayer. So I hope that doing that also really enriches their worship as well. Beautiful. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Well, as we begin to wrap up, uh, you know, any other things, Sean, that you wanted to highlight and, and help listeners understand about? Yeah, no, the, here? yeah, absolutely. There's probably maybe just one more thing, just mm-hmm. to help, <clears throat> just help her and and kind of what what's coming down the the pipe for her. But love to just kind of hear more, just what's coming for you, um, you know, publication wise, uh, maybe books or articles that are kind of in the pipeline, and uh, would just love to be able to highlight some sources that you have in print for those who are listening. Most of the stuff that's come out has really been focused on North African uh, Christianity. So I had an article just come out in Studia Patristica um, about what we can surmise about catechesis um, in North African Christianity around the time of Tertullian. People hear the word catechumen and they think, oh, a new convert. And really that wasn't the case. And I like looking at education in early Christianity because I think it could teach us a lot about how to disciple well today how to root people well in a really holistic way. Um, so that came out in Studia Patristica. Um, I have a book contract with Fortress right now, which is really terrifying and really exciting, and that's a revised version of my dissertation, looking at North African Christianity through the lens of um, the Passion of Perpetua. Mm. There it is. Um, yeah. But recently I was invited to do a little more work with Augustine, and I am certainly not an expert. Mm. But I'd love to write a memoir somehow, um, someday, kind of coming back to Augustine. Um, I had one view of him as an undergrad and being forced to return back to him after being invited to write some papers on Augustine and human flourishing and Augustine and vocation uh, for the Commonweal Project really enriched my life and it made me re-examine assumptions I had about my own vocation or some false guilt I had about my own vocation. Reading Augustine was refreshing and renewing. Um, so I think I have an article coming out in the Southern Baptist Theological Journal on Augustine right. and vocation. Um, I'm not sure where the Augustine and human flourishing paper will go. Um, but I, I can see why you can't put Augustine down. Yeah. There is something. <laughs> well, 
my argument is no one should put a ghost. Yeah. In. Uh, <laughs> uh, and if they do, I'll you know no. But uh, that's great. And and what we want to do, Megan, is just continue to encourage you. Uh, you know, as you are uh, a part of uh, the center and helping us think through these things, and just even this conversation has been so fruitful. Mm-hmm. And I really hope our listeners can can gauge the things that you've said as not just uh, an academic challenge, but as a spiritual yeah, life right. challenge as well. Right. And so uh, we want to just encourage you to continue writing on those things, yeah. uh, producing, uh, not for the sake of uh, the academy, right? Not for the sake of that, but for the sake of seeing, as you mentioned uh, with Augustine, people flourish, people see uh, there's value in what they're doing. There's value in, a, in approaching these topics, even if it's just from a, a personal interest standpoint, um, if not a, a full vocational standpoint. Uh, but just a, yeah, just a personal spiritual value that can be obtained uh, in doing this work. And we just thank you. Thank yeah. you so much for your desire to do that and the things that you're putting out yep. there. And yep. we look forward to seeing those things come out and more things in the future as the Lord allows you to do that. So. Thank you. I'm really honored to work with you guys, and I look forward to what the future may hold. That's great. And uh, we'll look forward to maybe coming up and hanging out in the California, or sorry, the, the Colorado mountains. And Everyone's welcome to California. Yeah, California. I was looking at you, and like, <laughs> California, no, Colorado mountains. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. So, uh, oh, but yeah, great. I look forward to the next time we get to sit down and talk with you, Megan. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Megan. Thank you. It was a delight.